Thanks for listening to the Anti-Failure Podcast, where we tell stories of small business owners loud and proud. We look at how founders and small business owners use failure to learn, grow, and continue the journey to success. I'm your host, Chris Kendall, and joining me in the studio today is Sally Bredden. Sally has a long and successful career in senior marketing positions in some of Australia's leading brands. Sally is the founder of Good Company, a health food company that provides allergen-free spreads and snacks, ideal for Aussie kids' lunchboxes. Thanks for joining me today, Sally. Could you start by sharing a little bit about your journey so far, especially the Good journey? Sure. Thank you very much for having me here. So I didn't really develop my passion for health and wellness until I was in my mid-20s. I'd been working in the alcohol industry for since I finished uni and um, wasn't living the healthiest life. Right. It was a fun life, but not so healthy. To go uh, from big brewery into health and wellness. Interesting. Yeah. So my, my um, segue was I decided to take a year off with a girlfriend and we went four-wheel driving around Australia camping, very random. Neither of us had camped before. And it was during that year that I really fell in love with nature and the outdoors and um, feeling strong and fit and healthy. And when I came back from that trip, I um, decided to transition across into the natural medicines industry and spent the next 12 years or so working in product development, marketing, um, international markets, and I also worked with some great specialists, some really inspiring people. And I also studied naturopathy and really fell in love with nutrition and living a healthy, uh, strong, fit and well lifestyle. So that was kind of where my passion for a great nutrition started. Yeah. Um, I had my three kids during that time and the global role was challenging. And after I had my third baby, I decided to move to a part-time role in a local company that was like an imported, uh, distributor. Yep. Um, not as well aligned to my passion for healthy living, but a great opportunity in hindsight to develop some really good skills for Good, which today I use all the time. So things like logistics, things that are not sexy, like marketing things, but um, logistics, supply chain, all things that can make or break a small business, even like more sales and retail learnings. But once my youngest kid hit primary school, I um, started getting itchy and... Something was being lit. Yeah. So I was just kind of feeling uninspired and I didn't want to be that mum that would get home from my part-time role and be bored, uninspired. And I wanted to be a really good role model for my kids. I wanted to to demonstrate that you can work hard and challenge yourself and follow a dream. And I came up with a bunch of different really bad ideas. Naturally, I'm not entrepreneurial. It's not a strength of mine, but I knew I wanted to do something for myself and to follow that passion. Um, I knew how to develop products and I'd done a bit of travel to the US with my current role with the distributor and I'd seen that there was this nut-free peanut butter, nut-free spread alternative market over there. And in Australia where all our schools have nut-free policies, nut allergies are becoming really commonplace. I just recognized this opportunity and at 5 a.m. one morning, I just like I had this brain, brain explosion that maybe I could do my own nut 
alternative and I told my husband and he was like, literally in that moment, he's like, it's going to be called peanut butter. And that was pretty much how it all was born. And because I had come up with all these ideas and he'd always kind of shut them down and it's like, it's (laughs) never going to be scalable. It's, you're never going to kind of get anywhere with it. And then this one was like, it just really stuck. Yeah. And so that's kind of how it started. Interesting. And, and you said up until that point, you had had a number of ideas. They all turned out to be bad ideas. Have you got some examples of where maybe you've pursued a bad idea? I had, this was the first one I'd really pursued actually. Like I've done lots of, I love cooking and I love using good ingredients. Okay. And so I had done like, I, I always used to try and make things like, you know, the protein balls and the slices and things, but it was all very small scale, very niche. And I'm traditional, I'm not a mainstream kind of consumer. I probably am more on the you know, health purist side. And that's not really where I think the big opportunity for CPG business is. It's, you got to appeal to the broader consumer, not yep. just yourself. Yeah, There's not many people like me. <laughs> <laughs> well, isn't that a good thing? Yeah. Um, so you, you've come from an interesting background where you're working big budget, big marketing, big brand, uh, alcohol industry, and now you've ended up, do you use a lot of the skills and techniques and the things that you learned in those big environments in what you're doing now? Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, that's obviously, it's very cliche, but that's part of my journey, right? Like the, um, in the big alcohol companies where there are huge marketing budgets, I haven't worked with budgets like that since I was in that industry. Yes. And you really do learn best practice for packaging design and the importance of good packaging design. Um, you back then there was no such thing as social media. So I didn't really learn anything about that. Right. And I've really been self-taught in that way because when I got my real kind of marketing experience, it was before all of the Facebook and yeah. social media stuff. So that's kind of been self-taught, but absolutely. Then, you know, through my career in the natural medicines industry, learning global markets, learning the similarities, but also the differences and yep. that there's definitely not one size fits all for all different markets. Yep. Um, that, you know, consumers in Asia are different to consumers in Australia, to the US and the UK. And, you know, the US particularly, I think we feel very close to as consumers, but in actual fact, we're very different. Right. Um, and I- Very different. Yeah. So- I think people understand the, the differences between the two countries we look the same we actually are very different very different yep and the demands of consumers particularly at the fcg level is very different in the u.s to what it is here in australia so not only access to people access to markets and and all of the big players make it difficult for little people they certainly do and it's one of the challenges that i face now on a daily but daily basis is the u.s market for us at be good is and huge opportunity, but I've learned some big hard lessons and tackling that market. And it's definitely not for the faint hearted and you are up against some big, big, big players and with a lot of money. And can you give us an example of one of those challenges or failures that you've had that really struck a chord and, and ignited passion to try and find to succeed? In the U.S. In the U.S. Or, or here in Australia. Yeah, I guess um, 
one of the first failures, and I don't really like to use that word, to be honest. Because okay, well, let's call it learning. That, yeah, learning. <laughs> um, you know, like we teach our kids this whole growth mindset every day that there's yes. no such thing as failure. And it's very, very um, cliche again, but we do like all these things that we, all these mistakes we make or yep. decisions we make that don't turn out for the best are all part of the lessons on the journey, right? Yep, for sure. Uh, so we hadn't yet sold a jar of um, peanut butter before um, we actually launched into retail and our first production landed in the warehouse and it was all spoiled. So yeah. we had an entire production run that the jars leaked, there was a bunch of different problems with the product quality and we ended up having to dispose of the entire shipment. And uh, the, like, I'll never forget that moment because at that point in time, I just, I didn't have experience in something that disastrous happening. And I right. took it very personally, yep. you know, like all I could think about was all these people that had committed to buying the products, the distributors. Yep. We had our whole launch plan worked out and it, it, it's would have, it was going to set us back. It did set us back, you know, four months, four months and a lot of money. Yep. Um, yep. Both things that were very devastating. And then in hindsight, as you work through the problem, you realize that, and this and many more that, you know, they are problems that you then solve and you work through and then you get to the other side and and with every failure, every problem that I've experienced to date, there has been a bright side at the end. So for that one, we came out actually with a better product. Perfect. We hadn't actually, it didn't actually happen with the product sitting in people's pantries. Right. So it could have been way worse. Yeah, we right. could have had product in stores and in people's shopping trolleys and leaking. Really? We just get to that. So, but at the time, you know, like there was Devastation. Tears. Oh, there I'm sure tears. that was. Yeah. <laughs> And, and I'm sure you can go right back to that moment where you see. Oh, I feel it. I know where I was. I remember calling, speaking to the people at the warehouse and getting them to send me through pictures of how the product looked. And I was just, it was a Friday afternoon as well. Oh, and <laughs> if bad things are going to happen, they happen on a Friday. Right? Oh, for sure. Right before happy hour. <laughs> oh, and then just, yeah, just that feeling of just overwhelming despair. <laughs> yeah. So uh, how long did it really take for you to move through that moment to then think, okay, now what next? Well, I had the weekend. Yep. Yep. Because <laughs> it was a Friday. Um, look. But orders are going to start flowing on Monday, right? So well, yeah, you need to start solving the problem, right? So you need to go into solution mode straight away. And that's probably one thing I am good at is that I'll take the hit and then it's like, well, we've got to move forward here. Right. If I don't do it, no one's going to do it. So you got to start putting plans in place to solve the problem. And and can you think back now on the things that you did start to take forward steps with and how you worked through the problem? Yeah. So the customers really just letting, yep. really understanding. A bit like Optus this week. Oh. You let the customers know what happened and what you're doing <laughs> to fix it. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty critical. And that's one thing I have definitely learned is yep. that as long as you are transparent yes. and that you share with pe people are very forgiving, yep. especially good people and the people that aren't forgiving, well, then don't worry about them because you don't they need them. They'll be in the... Yeah. I don't want to know them anyway. Yes. So 
people are generally really forgiving. You've just got to be open and honest and share with them new timings. You know, if they want your product, they want your product. If they don't, they don't. And right. and that's probably, you know, I say that so flippantly now because I probably didn't really feel like that at the time, but it's something that I've learned along the way is that, you know, being completely transparent is all people want. Yep. Uh, are there things that you can think back on now that, you've incorporated in the way you do business today as a result of that pretty devastating event? Yeah. I mean, one thing is I really try to smooth out the highs and the lows. So there's lots of lows and there's lots of highs. And when this startup world, it's often the lows are really low and the highs are really high and trying to find that middle ground a lot, trying to, trying to put myself in that middle smoother path, not get so excited by the highs and not get so devastated by the lows. Yeah. You, you mentioned earlier, I want to explore that a little bit further, given that, you know, you mentioned you had lots of bad ideas. Your husband was there as the sounding board. Uh, you know, I can think of times where I was talking about ideas, what I wanted to do and people that never work. And, and there's something about you or about your experiences a big FMCG, now you're applying it in your little, little world. Mm. Um, how, how do you smooth out the highs and lows? Cause I, I get it the same, you know, when I've got a great idea, I'm like up here and then somebody pulls me down. I think, well, the lows, it's probably the lows is what I've had to work on more because okay. you can deal with the highs and highs are great. Right. And I probably have more <laughs> lows than highs Yeah, with the lows making sure I keep perspective, Yep. you know, at the end of the day, this is just a business. Yep. This is not me. And yep. what's the point if I'm going to be miserable or stressed? Mm -hmm. So, you know, there've been points where my husband has said to me, you, you just don't seem happy. Right. Why are you doing it if you're not happy? Right. And I'm like, okay, well, I want to do it Yep. and I'm passionate about doing it. So I'm going to be happy even, you yep. know, and. I also go for me, the most important things in my life are my family, my kids, my friends. Yep. And that helps me put it in perspective. Bad yeah. stuff happens yeah. and that's okay. Yes. And you come out of it the other side. And I just say to myself, one day at a time, work through the problems. Yeah. You'll fight, you'll come out of the other side. Like you do, you always do. And just reminding myself of that is how I get through those lows. Yeah. One of the things I try and think about or remind myself is it's okay to have a low. Yeah. You know, it's not possible to have yeah. constant highs and this concept of resilience is bullshit. You know, I don't have to be resilient today. I don't feel like it. I'm, I'm faced with these problems. So do you use those sorts of tools and techniques Definitely. in those moments? Definitely. And you know, my husband, I'm sure cops at all really. Um, unfortunately for him. Has he got his own business? He's Teflon. <laughs> <laughs> um, he does, he doesn't, but he has in the past. Okay. So he okay. gets it. Yep. Yep. And he, yeah, just having that person that lets you download, mm -hmm. cry, yep. you know, be miserable. Yep. And then sometimes, and he's, and you know, he kind of pulls me in line and I'm like, yeah, you're right. Like it's not, I'll work through it. Mm -hmm. Just. Tomorrow we'll come up with the solutions, and it, even if you don't come up with a solution, it, it evolves. So yeah, yeah. 
the magnitude of the the experience in small business compared to the experience in a big business? Do you ever reflect on? Oh, 100%. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Look, it's really easy to go to a job where you get paid a salary and you get to come home at the end of the day. And yes, you might have a few emails to answer, but nothing really rests on your shoulders. Yeah. There's a bunch of other people who share all the problems with you, yep. who help you make decisions, who yep. you can discuss, you know, issues and come up with decisions yep. together. And it's not really your full responsibility. Whereas when it's just me, it's just me. Buck stops. Yeah, the buck stops. And if I'm- and You're not writing someone else's checks, you're writing your own checks. The amplification of the failure at a, at a corporate level compared to at a small business level where you've invested your heart, soul, and passion into something, that can be debilitating. Yeah. How, do, how do you, you mentioned your husband, he's there as the sounding board or the reminder that, what other ways do you deal with that? Look, it can be debilitating, but just on the flip side, I think of going back to that big business and that just, <laughs> there's enough, no way I could do it. That's so enough motivation. Of, yeah, that kind of is enough to make me go, no, I... I like having the control. When I lose the control, which is when, you know, problems happen and yep. mistakes are made and when you feel like you've failed, <laughs> yep. um, that is, you know, really hard. Yep. But I can't imagine not having that kind of level of input into what I'm doing. Yes. I can't imagine being as passionate about something when it's not my own. Right, right. Um, but, you know, I, I live a a healthy lifestyle. I exercise is really important to me. Yep. Spending time with my family. Like we live in an amazing part of the world. We yep. live at the beach. Like yep. can you know So keeping that perspective keeping as, that as perspective, the companion. You know, cuddling my dog. Yep. Oh, like, <laughs> yes. He's always by my side, follows me around and looks yes. you can't be unhappy when you've got this kind of he's a half lab like right. sitting at your feet all day. Like I've it's just happiness. And she knows when it's been a bad day and she yeah, I mean, they are a, a, a companion on the journey, right? Totally. Yeah. Um so in the in the context again, and I keep going back to your big business, there are things that you learn there that you use now even though you don't have the money. How do you go about finding that balance of making the investment decision in a brand or a marketing strategy without having the big budget? It's hard, but actually, you know, you think that the natural medicine industry, when I was there 10 years ago, the budgets weren't actually as big as what you would think. Right. So they've become bigger now that they've expanded globally, but... Back then, there weren't huge budgets like there were in alcohol. So you did have to be smart in how you managed a budget. Yep. So that kind of probably helped me to develop some of those skills of not just throwing a ton of money at stuff. But in Vigood, you know, I don't have any budget really. Right. I've spent money and I've probably wasted money. So one of the mistakes I made was spending money on PR and launch before we had a significant distribution and you really need to have distribution so that people can go and buy the product when they hear about it. Right? So they hear about it, but then they can yeah. find it and then they move on. Yeah. So, um, look, you just have to, you know, think about how I always think about new in the U S distribution is expensive. Mm -hmm. The U S is our big yeah. focus. 
but to get on shelf over there, you really, generally it requires at least a free case plus ad spend with that retailer, yep. potentially demos, um, and potentially a fee and plus a promotional program. And, so a it's big, expensive. and a big buy discount. So all of a sudden, any margin that you've priced into your product in that wholesale setting is diminished. It there It is very, very expensive to build distribution. So you need to be really careful with what stores you're going to and make sure those are the right stores for your product. Um, when I'm working with my partner in the US, I always say to him when he's recommending a new retail opportunity, well, how many jars of peanut butter do we need to sell to even break even on that? And if it's going to take us a year just to break even, then you really, and, and if it's not a, a, a store that we really need to build our case study, right. then we'll say no. So not every sale is a good sale. And it's definitely one thing I've learned. I think that's that a hard lesson to learn. It is. Um, and you kind of have to learn it by making a mistake, unfortunately. Can you think of a, an example of where you chased revenue and it actually cost you more money? Look, the US started a bit like that. Yep. Um, I launched over there with a partner who had a very scattergun approach to distribution. Yep. I was so naive about the market. I thought that, you know, there's 60,000 stores you know, we can get in 2% of them and we'll be sweet. Yep. And it doesn't matter where they are, as long as we're kind of in the healthiest stores, yep. we'll be good. And it just does not work like that. And, you know, you get so excited when a retailer says, yeah, we'll put you on shelf. Right. And I was just a bit like, at that point in time, I just didn't really kind of, even though you would think with my experience that I would be a bit more cluey that when they're telling you what you've got to spend to get your product on shelf. But I was, I just had stars in my eyes. I was excited about getting on shelf. And in the end, at the end of the day, like, yeah, not all those retailers are the right ones. They're either too expensive, yep. their margin requirements are too high. So your product ends up too expensive on shelf. Yep. So in some stores, you know, our target price will be kind of six to seven dollars US. Okay. Some stores were, you know, going at ten dollars and right. that's just it's just not gonna provide the scale. Uh, right. there's it's too niche yep. for what we're trying to achieve. We're trying to achieve a kind of broader consumer target. And do you have examples of where you've had to make the difficult decision to pull product back from a store or back from a distributor? Yep. So we have stopped supplying some distributors yep. in the US. And what We're, was the basis for that decision? Was it, again, they were forcing prices or? So the way it works is that, so you have a distributor who services a region mm -hmm. or like a national distributor with specific DCs that service yep. that region. And we've closed down some of the DCs in specific regions where the retailers just were not well aligned. So too conventional, whereas we need to be more focused in the natural channel. Okay. Um, so that we just weren't getting the run rates. And while that's hard to comprehend and you go, you do second guess, is it the product? Is it the retailer? Is it the consumer? Is it the demographic? Yep. In some regions in the US, our product is just not going to fly. It's right. not where we need to build our foundations. And really discovering where those foundations are is kind of what we've learnt 
over the last couple of years. So your skills around data analytics and understanding market penetration is something that you use today, even in the small business, smaller context. And I think, yeah, I think that's a really good point is that understanding your consumer is so important. Yes. Um, And, you know, you don't have to spend a lot of money to do that either. You can do it, just go and do demos in stores, talk to people. I did I still do it here a lot. I did um, the Manly Markets the other yep. weekend, All right. which I'd never done before, but I'd recently done an allergy show and I had a bunch of products sitting in my garage that I didn't want to give back to the distributor who owns the product in the market here. And yep. so I thought, oh, I'll just try the Manly Markets. And actually it was just a really good way of just talking to people, seeing yep. what they like, seeing what they don't like, but mostly seeing what they like because then that helps you better communicate. So that's a really interesting point. We were talking about this in another recent interview. Um, the context of learning from feedback rather than resisting feedback. And you talk about the manly markets. I'm sure you got some feedback that perhaps was difficult to hear or how do you try and mine the nuggets or the gems out of the feedback so that you can make the product more appealing or whatever? It's a good question because you want to make sure that you don't take one piece of feedback. Right. Right. Like it needs to be a consistent theme. A theme. So one day at Manly Markets, take with a grain of salt. It's a very specific, narrow niche demographic there. Yep. Yep. Um, But over time, there's something that there's a few specific things that um, for the US consumer, we're going to tweak in our product. Okay. Um, And I won't go into the details of what they are, but... um, you do kind of have to take consistent feedback over time. And in the same way, you can't take one piece of negative feedback and go, oh, no, it's a disaster. Mm-hmm. Everyone's going to hate the product. Yep. So both positive and negative, it needs to be a consistent balance theme yeah, across lots of people. So one um, great thing I did recently was a Celiac Australia show, which was in Sydney, but... The demographic was really broad, people from all over New South Wales okay. there. So it was a really good experience to get a much broader kind of consumer yep. um, understanding of feedback on the products. Amazon in the US is another, you know, some people, one, potentially if I was going to start again, you could start just on Amazon, mm-hmm. get all your consumer feedback, but but Amazon's not simple either. So. No. I don't think any of the big distribution markets are simple. No. Particularly for niche product. Yeah. So you started VGood in 2019, right? Yes. So then pandemic hits. And how did you navigate that period of time with trying to bring product to market? You had the idea. You went through some sort of prototyping. or What what did that journey look like? Yeah, that was... um, Look, I don't know if it was hard or not, really. (laughs) It, it, it was what it was. Um, so we started the product development in 2018. So we'd pretty much done that before the pandemic hit. So we had our products ready to go. Right. The tough thing about the pandemic really was that our products were targeted at school lunchbox. Yes. And again, I don't know. It, it is what it is, right? Like I don't know how much of the pandemic affected our initial launch and our ability to get distribution and then sales off the shelf. Yep. But 
the hard thing was that our production is in Turkey. It's um, oh, offshore. Right. And so we're a long way from there, but we're a long way from there, pandemic or not. Yes. But the tough yeah. thing was for us, cost of goods increases. Mm. And that's been, the, as a result of the pandemic, the biggest challenge. Right. So our cost of goods increase doubled since we first developed the product to now it's more than doubled so wow. and you can't so how do you balance that. yeah how do you balance that that i mean here's a situation where you don't necessarily have the lever to control mm. the problem you're being faced with so what do you do about that so we have taken a margin hit for the australian market we've got some price increase through but didn't want to smash the product yep. when it had just launched yep we pulled out of New Zealand because there was no way we were going to get it. We, we weren't going to make any money out of the dot. You were paying them to take the product. Wow. That's got to be a difficult decision. It was a difficult decision, but, um, and one of the reasons for launching in New Zealand is that we wanted to use it as a test market. Yep. But the learning there was that in actual fact, it was for a niche product. It was too small. Right. So... Um, even for a really mass product, New Zealand's such a small market yes. that yep. um, it's tough to kind of scale yep. in that market. Yep. Um, we were lucky in that we didn't actually launch into the US until we'd received the impact of our cost of goods increase. So okay. we so were there was no price adjustment. There was no price adjustment. And the US market, you know, our pricing in Australia is the same in Australian dollars as it is in the US market in US right. dollars. So consumers pay more yep. in that market for grocery items. You know, there's competitive products, not nut free, but even nut free, but you know, they're 50% more than they are here. Interesting. Yeah. So that gives you the opportunity to approach the market in a completely different way. Yeah. So our, our pricing model over there was built in a far more robust way. But saying that, you know, all the costs of entry are much higher. Yes, right. It's really interesting to me that you've got the benefit of understanding the value of data and, and how and what stories data will tell you, not only about the market, but price points or volumes or where do you need, you talked earlier about break-even points and, mm -hmm. and things, you know, that perhaps some small business owners don't really apply to their business. I what, think, yeah. What I, do you see as the value of those things in the way you run your business? I think I'm a very analytical person. I like numbers and being able to quantify things. Mm -hmm. um, and getting your costings sorted and really understanding your numbers when you're selling a $7, item, $7 retail item. So mm -hmm. you're selling a very low cost item. Yep. Understanding intimately all of the inputs into your value chain are so, so, so critical. And if you don't get that, you can just fail. Uh, it just won't work. So things like that I mentioned that when I was working for the distributor that I really didn't understand when I was working in the natural medicines industry, just in more pure marketing roles, the impact of supply chain, mm -hmm. warehousing, you know, even how to build a pallet so it's efficient. Interesting. Like, such what you think are not that important, but on a small, low-cost item have such a huge impact. You know, if you add another five cents through a, a badly laid-out pallet because you yeah. can't fit an extra 10 cartons on it, that actually can have 
down the, you know, impacts your final cost on the shelf. So everything is up for review and discussion based on the data yeah. and, and striving for that efficiency. Yeah, absolutely. And understanding and understanding your numbers and the commercial structure is so critical. And it, you mentioned your production is in Turkey. How do you manage the quality of production? Do you have local partners doing that? How do you how do you work with them to make sure that the product is at the standard you want? It's definitely a challenge um, not being there. Mm-hmm. So I do need to let go of some of the control in some respects Yep. because I'm not there to touch and feel it all the time and it's expensive to go over there. Yep. We have a partner over there and he is amazing. So we talk every day, yep. do a lot like video calls. We have an excellent relationship and there's some things that in a business like this are luck and some things, you know, and this is, there's a couple of things that are luck. Just having a partner who's so heavily invested in the business emotionally um, and committed to making it work has been critical. Well, has been such a huge benefit to us. Yes. He's so invested in making sure everything is perfect. So we own the machinery in a co-manufacturer's facility. Okay. Yep. And... Having that control over our machinery probably helps. Yep, yep. So he's he's in many ways aligned with your bigger objective here. It's not just him sitting there producing. He's got a vested interest or a, a, a passion that is aligned with yours. Exactly, yeah. High quality product High to market quality. in a way that is cost effective. Yeah, and he's, you know, he's very passionate about having you know, about being a really good manufacturer. And he also can see, you know, we're, as Good investing a huge amount of effort in building yes. a brand and building yes. a business that will obviously help him too. Yep. So yep. every jar I sell, he sells. Yes. And so, you know, he's very committed to making sure we do the best possible quality product. Fantastic. And he has all the kind of food safety Yep. Um, certifications and manages that really well. Um, right. And one of the challenges through COVID was the logistical supply chain and yep. getting equipment and having people on the ground at Origin to make sure we were getting containers when we needed containers. So, yeah, having that partner who's so committed to the business and to is so well aligned to both our mutual success is... Yep. Um, is key. Is key. So even though you're in a niche product market driving healthy product, it's really relationships. Yeah, I mean... With the distributors, with the, the shelf market, with the, the manufacturer. At the end of the day, you have to have a product that someone wants <laughs> to buy, right? Yes. If you don't have that, then you need to start again. But yes, yes Absolutely. Your relationship. So I'm the only employee at Be Good. I don't have any oh. other, I don't have any employees, but I work with a lot of partners. Yep. yep. Um, and having good relationships with them is critical. Yes. If you don't have that, then yep. you're never going to get any. You don't have the business because they're all, they're all impacting reputation. At any point that fails or any point where the process breaks down, that's reputation damage that's very difficult for you to recover. Uh, exactly. So, yeah, I mean, having those relationships is, you know, my partner in the U.S. is like an employee, I guess, a consultant, mm-hmm. um, retainer type partner. And 
a relationship, you know, they're my boots on the ground. We need to trust each other. I need to trust them. Yep. Um, they're my third partner since launching over there. So. Is that right? So, so that, yeah. that's been a challenging part of the business is having a partner who's who's aligned, who doesn't give you bullshit answers to yep. things, yep. who you trust, who yeah. isn't just happy to go and spend your money like it's yeah, the, green the, trees. The journey of any small business is, from my perspective, is, is about knowing who you can trust and aligning with people who share similar values. Can you talk about how do you evaluate your partners or your distributors on a different basis than when you started this? Do you yeah. look at the cultural piece, the values, the food, the, the health? What, how do you go about deciding who you want to be involved with? Um, you know what? It's, it's a tough thing because especially in a global business, mm -hmm. a lot of what you do is online on video calls. And yep. it's very hard to while, you know, that has so many benefits, it's actually really hard to really build a connection with someone yep. through a video screen. Yep. Um, my manufacturing partner, I've been to Turkey, I think three times since we started. And those weeks that we've spent together in person have been so critical to yep. us building this business together. Yep. Yep. Spending time with his family, you know, it's very important to yep. Turkish people, understanding his culture. Mm -hmm. My US partner, I mentioned this is my third. Yep. My first two I hadn't met in person before I started yep. working with them. And the third I had met in person. Mm -hmm. And yep. I think there's something about that that helps you evaluate someone. Yeah. And I, you know... A lot of what you do when you're in a startup is gut-based. <laughs> like it, we talk about the data and the science, but yeah. there's definitely does it feel right? It 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 is, and like and and sometimes you just can't do anything but just trust or not trust your gut. Like yeah. it, and when you say relationships are so important, like if you get along and have fun with these people, right? And this right. the distributor or the 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 consultant that I'm using in the US now. We have fun together. Yeah. And that to me, you know, I was at a point in the US with my previous partner where I just wasn't having fun with them. Yes. They, you know, it, it just, we weren't gelling. Yep. And. And that's not something that you can script. You can't. You if can't. it's not there, you just, uh, it, it's not there. And so then when you're having fun with someone, you're like, yeah, we can do this together. Yes. This requires grunt and it requires grit and it requires doing shit stuff that no one really wants to do, but you've just got to do it. It's yeah. like yeah. making phone calls, you know, doing all those hard yards in the early stages to build the foundations that you can't do if you're not having fun. Yeah. Yeah. So can you think of anything when you made the transition, you, you came up with the product concept in your kitchen. You've now got it as a distributor. How many jars are being distributed annually now? That's a good question. We just we've just launched into Vietnam as well, which okay. is um, hopefully going to increase our volumes. Yeah. But we're probably on about half a million jars. Okay. So you went from a kitchen production, an idea that you thought there had to be a better way to get peanut butter into the world. You're now at half a million. Are there things along the way that you thought would not be a problem that turned out to be a problem and things that you thought, oh, 
but they didn't turn out to be a problem? That's a good question. I mean, one of the things that I thought that I would be better at is I talk about numbers and commercials and things. And one of the things that I have been really surprised about is that cost of getting distribution in the US and how it can really make or break you if you take the wrong sales. And I've taken some of the wrong sales and I thought I'd be smarter than that. But I wasn't, and I, you know, stars in your eyes, and maybe being too trusting of people, I think, probably is a hard lesson that I've learned is that I do just trust people at face value. And when we talk about differences in cultures, Americans like to be very optimistic mm-hmm. and really positive, and that's awesome. Yep. But if there's stuff that's not positive, you need to know about it. And I'm very practical and I want to know, actually, I don't want to just get the positive side. I want to, you know, I'm pretty direct and I'm happy for people to be direct with me too. Like, I don't, I don't want you to gloss over. I don't want you to sugarcoat things. Don't tell me it's okay when you know there's a problem that it's not. Let's have that conversation, right? Yeah, let's. You know, there's, it just delays the failure. Yep. You know, if yep. you're sugarcoating something, when you know that it's, when someone knows that that's actually not going to work or yep. that there's going to be a problem that comes from that, they yep. yeah, don't sugarcoat it. Let's just deal with it. Let's rip the bandaid off. Yeah. That's a really interesting point. Give me the opportunity to fail now, not in six months from now. Yeah. So let's talk about that so that we can course correct now rather than another six months of doing what we're doing. And the outcome's still the same. Yeah. And I think that's where I'm, I've finally got to with my US business. I think people, sometimes their default is to tell you what they think you want to hear to justify right. an investment. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to hear that. Mm-hmm. I want to hear worst case. Yep. When you enter in a new market, you're not expecting to make money. I, I mean, for me, this business is not about making millions and millions of dollars. It's about doing something, you know, this is what I remind myself of. It's about doing something that I'm passionate about that challenges me, that, you know, makes me a role model for my kids. Yep. Um, Brings health into the market. Yeah. That makes a difference to someone's life that, you know, and one of the things that gives me the most satisfaction is when people, you know, and there are some people who don't like my products and that's cool. Yep. But there are some people who you know, they've really made a difference to their lives. Yep. Um, and that's really rewarding. Yes. And, and so interesting topic. Again, the motivations are different for a distributor versus the, the passion and the brains and the, and the recipe behind what you're taking to market. Have you found ways that you can bring those two together so that you can be aligned? Yeah, it is tough with um, distributors that they need to believe in the products too. Right. Otherwise, yep. you're not going to get anywhere. I've found that there's kind of two types of distributors. Mm-hmm. There's distributors who are salespeople as well. Mm-hmm. And then there's box mover distributors. Right. Most of them are box movers. Okay. And for them, it's just a commercial agreement. Yep. Right? Like yep. as long as it's just making, a way to get a dollar. Yeah. They, as long as they're making... Yeah. But... The partners, 
who are distributors slash partners, mm-hmm. they've got to believe in the product. Yep. And if they believe in the product, they'll go out and sell the product effectively. So but at the end of the day, they're businesses. So they need to make money from it. It, it all comes down to money for those, you know, for, sure. if you're expecting someone to build, help build your business, they're going to need to make a profit from it at the end of the day. For sure. For sure. So switching gears a little bit, you've only been doing this four years little longer than almost five years? Yeah, so I think our birthday was just in October. It was four years, but before, there was probably, you know, six months before that. Of Well, congratulations on four years. I know what it's like. That first four years is probably probably the hardest you're going to experience, and I hope now so. you see what happens but next. It's funny because I think people, every... Every year people say, oh, that's the hardest part. <laughs> and then I'll get to six years and be like, oh, now that's the hardest part. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I can tell you that having been doing what I've been doing for 10 years, I would never anticipate the sorts of challenges we have now compared to what we started with. Is that right? It, it, there's always something that you're starting to, that becomes now the priority to, to mm. deal with. And, and that's the journey of entrepreneurism, right? You're, you're up here one day, you're down here the next day, and it's... You mentioned finding that middle ground or, or keeping perspective that, okay, today's a really good day. Well, yeah. tomorrow, and then to- today's a really hard day. And that's it, isn't it? Because, and that's why you've got to take mistakes or failures, you know, in your stride a bit, because you know that you'll work through it and you know that there's going to be another one. Yes. And you've got to plan for lots of mistakes and yep. you've got to plan for worst case. And that's yep. probably a big lesson for me in that I'm naturally a fairly optimistic person Mm -hmm. and I don't want to really plan for mistakes. Right. But you've got to expect that they're going to happen. And and that's what happens. They're they're inevitable. One of the interesting things I've been thinking about is that we often work to celebrate success. You know, we've got a product in a new market. We've got, we've managed to increase the margin or, we don't often think about celebrating failure. Mm-hmm. And so it's a lesson. Because yeah. it's a lesson. But the, the lesson is what we could celebrate. Yeah, yeah. And and you mentioned earlier where it's not, f- failure is almost like a definitive outcome, whereas a mistake or an opportunity to learn is just exactly that. So it sounds like you're embracing this concept of, I'm going to make mistakes and and it's up to us on how we react to that. Yeah, and look, I sound like I'm really in control of this, <laughs> but I'm not. I can assure you, like, <laughs> yes. It's what I try to do, and it's something that I've learned along the way, and I'm getting better at that. Right. But there's no question that when shit hits the fan, it's yep. stressful. Yep. And um, Or when you don't get the result you're wanting to, to get, it's disappointing. Yes. And you need to pick yourself up and work through the problem and solve it. But sometimes, you know, it does get the better of you. Yeah. And I think that probably is magnified by your objective of doing this is not so much the dollars that come in. The objective is about improving the quality of someone's life. And that's what I remind myself of. Because for me, this business is not yet financially successful. Right. But I try and, and my husband reminds me of this a lot, is that I try and focus on 
what has been successful to date, you know, and there's a lot to be proud of yep. to get a business to where it is now. But at the end of the day, like you can't run a business without some kind of financial success as well. So it's, sure. you know, unless you've got unlimited funds to throw into it, at some point financial success needs to be. But for me, that's not the big, that's just a means to an end really. For mm. me, it's achieving those goals, those personal goals. Yeah. And you're already being recognised. You've uh, won some awards. Uh, well, I was the fine, we were the finalist for, um, the New South Wales Premier's Export Awards recently, which was, um, Fantastic. really good and, um, surprising. So, because I, again, you know, our export journey is very new still, um, and, you know, we've got a long way to go, yep. but, um, one thing that, I've learned through that is that there's lots of communities out there to help you. Yep. And I was trying to do everything on my own for a long time. Mm -hmm. And it's probably only the last year that I've kind of opened up my eyes to, to try and find where other support networks and Austrade's actually been really great. Oh, good. Um, yeah. And just trying to leverage all of those things that are out there to support small businesses. There's more than you think, and it's just finding them that's the hardest part. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a good point. Um, I know a lot of small businesses who don't really yet know what grants or or options are available for help moving product overseas or getting into international markets. Yeah, and it's and that's you know, I I always think because I you know, see different things on LinkedIn and what have you and go, I wish I was reading this four years ago, mm -hmm. but, and unfortunately your eyes, you don't know what you don't know. So you're not reading the things you need back then when you need them. You yeah. got us, the lessons already learned. I'm so I'm reading things about even like what we're talking about today. Hopefully people who haven't already learned all these lessons can can get from the inside can get from it i remember i used to spend a lot of time listening to the how i built this podcast when i first started fair mm -hmm. good and i found it quite inspiring just learning about different stories and journeys and I, I think that's probably a trait of a lot of small business owners is this sense of curiosity yeah you know what don't i know how what what avenues are available for me to bring in uh, other people's expertise do you have a network of trusted advisors who you sit down and go, I can't believe I'm faced with this today. What am I going to do about it? Uh, Are there people other than your husband? Uh, look, uh, yeah, there's a few people and I try, like friends wise, I don't talk about work much. I, no. I, they're a friend. They're friends. Like, An I'm opportunity for you to take time out. about this 24 seven. Yes. So any opportunity to have a break, but I do have a investor in the business who mm -hmm. helps talk through bigger yep. kind of decision-making things. My partner in the US yep. is very well aligned and I think, you know, I think that Fantastic. they're the right people and we just understand each other and I think we can work well together to, I can, I can moan to them about problems and sure. she'll talk me off the edge or fantastic <laughs> yeah if you were if you were to sit down in 10 years from now and we have a a beer in your old 
world. <laughs> what would be the thing that you would be most proud to be able to say, I did what? So what I haven't done yet? <laughs> just, just no, it could be what you've already done. You know, when you, when you came up with the concept, you've been through the challenges of four years in another 10 years from now, what's the thing that would give you the most reward? You know what? Just doing it. Yep. Just having a go because, as I said at the beginning, I didn't want to be that mum that was coming home from a boring job, Yep. being whining about it yep. and just complaining. Like, I, I don't like that kind of quality. I'm the kind of person that, it, well, if you've got a problem, fix it, not just right. sit in a, a cushy job that you're not really enjoying. And... I think there's been a few moments where my kids have acknowledged what I've achieved and that to me is the most rewarding thing. So seeing when I come back to why I'm doing this, seeing them respect what I'm doing and think yep. that it's, you know, impressive is what makes me feel. That's the best reward. Isn't yeah. It? And somebody who matters most to you acknowledges what you're what you're achieving yeah when the kids were young I was very much the main carer of the children and that's the yep. role I wanted to take mm. and um, I'm very grateful for the opportunity to have been a very hands-on mum when the kids were young but I didn't want my kids to grow up in a house where there was that very traditional, dad earning the money and mum at home. Yeah. I don't know why, but that was just how I felt. And I wanted my kids to feel like there was balance with both parents contributing to careers. So you can't do it all, but I think that I have a pretty good balance of having a career, but also being, you know, a very involved parent. Very good. Well, definitely a unique story. You've combined Big, big company skills and experience with the challenges both anticipated and unanticipated in the way that you brought your product and idea to market. I can't wait to see what you do next. <laughs> um, if people were looking to get a hold of your product, how would they do that? So there's lots of online retailers. Yep. Um, we sell direct at our website, vgoodco.com and... Harris Farm, Independence, IGAs. Um, Fantastic. Yeah. Well, Blut, I look forward to seeing where this goes. Thank you for your time today. Thank you so much. Yeah. That was fun. Really good to hear your story. <laughs>